Working Fans Podcast. Cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. Welcome back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer, Joe, may likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at FansWorking. Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. little segment here called Dave Remembers. I think I just named it myself right there. Oh, <laughs> We're going to go back to a great angle. One of the most memorable angles of all time. And really, I'm going to profile a match. The match is New York Knockout, Clash of Champions 9, Ric Flair, Terry Funk. Conrad Thompson has said before that when he shows people that are non-wrestling fans a match, it's either Mick Foley, Undertaker, Hell in a Cell, or it's Ric Flair and Terry Funk, the I Quit match. Now, brief... He likes to scare people. The brief story on this is Adam and I talked about beforehand. Wrestle War 1989 was the first time this angle really got kicked off. Ric Flair won his sixth world title, defeating uh, Ricky Steamboat. Afterwards, Funk, who was a judge, was looking for a uh, title shot. Flair says, hey, man, you've been out in Hollywood. We have a top ten. You might have to win a match or two here. And Funk goes, oh, okay, well, I was just kidding, Rick. I didn't really want a title shot. Jumps Flair. Powell drives him through a table, probably the first time we ever saw this on a national scene, just beats him down brutally, and it's on there. And then they have a match at the Great American Bash where they both bleed. Flair and Funk are going at it there, and Muda and Sting come by at the end. After that match, there was a clash of champions where Flair, who's legit claustrophobic, Terry Funk have wrapped a plastic bag around his head and tied it. They actually had to apologize for this angle on TBS the following weekend because apparently, you know, when uh, at the time they were worried about kids strangling themselves with plastic bags, WCW do an angle where Flair <laughs> had a bag tied around his face and neck. Really apparently didn't go well with Sterner, Turner's practices. That led to Halloween Havoc 89. Sting and Flair beat Muda and Funk. And all this finally concludes to New York Knockout. Now, one thing I really liked about this match, and I know you would agree if you saw this, was they were very, it was a wild bra, and they're very uncooperative. Like, they're very, like, they're beating the hell out of it, but they're selling it. Like, Funk is going for the pile driver, and Flair's, like, hitting his legs, and he's just refusing to get powered. And then he finally, Funk will get the pile driver, and uh, there's, there's no cooperation. Everything's looking like a real fight. They're beating the hell out of each other. Even Gary Hart here. Like, rather than being a chicken shit heel, like when Flair shoves him, 
Gary will grab a brain and I'm like, don't touch me, Rick. Don't you touch me, you know? And all this is leading up to where the end, Flair gets the figure four on him. Again, Funk had been fighting off the figure four eventually a couple times. He makes, Flair finally gets it in. He makes him tap out. Crowd is going absolutely insane. And at the end of it, Funk gives up. He decides he's going to shake Ric Flair's hand because he had promised to people. And Gary Hart, you can hear off the side, well, what did you promise? What did you promise? You don't, you don't embarrass me. And Funk shakes his hand and he says, Ric Flair, you're a hell of a man. And then afterwards, Gary jumps Funk. Flair starts beating up Gary Hart. Muda and the Dragon Master come out, to which JR screams, the Japanese, the Japanese are attacking Ric Flair. Probably can't say that now. Sting comes out to make the save. And then Lex Luger grabs a chair. And by the way, if you watch this too, there's a fan fighting with Lex Luger to get the chair. Doug Dillinger actually had to help Lex Luger get the chair from the fan, which I thought was kind of funny. And then Luger goes in the ring, lays out Sting. Luger and the Japanese beat up Ric Flair and Sting. And then afterwards, Luger destroys a couple trophies that Flair and Sting were given earlier. Sting for most popular wrestler in WCW. Flair for wrestler of the decade. AJ, what are your thoughts on this storyline, the match from what you remember? I know it's been a long time. Well, I, I, I think you can get away with saying the Japanese is not, but he, he didn't say anything actually wrong there. They are Japanese. Well, are they like, the Japanese? <laughs> yeah, I think that the problem there would be if he used like Oriental or something like that. He used that this week on AEW. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, well, I think being from Oklahoma, we expect a certain amount of racism from an old man. <laughs> now, however, mm. I think once Luger joined him, we should have probably changed it to the Crappanese. The Crappanese. Luger has never looked realistic in anything that he's done, so it's ironic that he would be the end of Saw a fight that looks so realistic. Mm. I think it's one of the best matches of 89. I know everybody talks about the matches between Flair and Steamboat, but this, to me, was one of the most enjoyable matches. Mm. I think it was a tremendous just fight, and they made it look real. Though, If you watch the crowd during that match, that crowd is emotionally invested in it, and they are hanging on everything that's happening. How often do you see that these days? Uh, that's one of those things that is a lost art now in making people buy it. Everybody wants this smoothest silk match now, and you see these kids that go out there, they're tremendous athletes, and everything just flows. Look, there's a shooting star press. You've got the flying burrito off of the hopes. You've got these gymnastic moves that are just beautiful and seamless, and the matches are perfect, except for one thing. What fight have you ever seen in your life that comes across as just being absolutely perfect and just nobody fighting back or everybody's in the right spot at the right time? That's not where wrestling is supposed to be. Hey, I got a question. Points, yeah. who, who does the flying burrito? <laughs> Oh, that's Tito Santana. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think that's something that heel Jesse Ventura said back in the day, but, yeah. It was, yeah, it was either, yeah, I think it was Jesse. It was either him or Bobby, but I'm 99 sure it was Jesse. Yes. I just figured I would throw a little homage into the old racist announcers, since you guys were talking about those wonderful announcers. Yes, yeah, I love those announcers. They tell a great story. Listen. <laughs> But, but what was your take on the match? Did you did you think that it was as good as everybody makes it out to be? Or? It held up. 
And if a match of that time period still holds up with me, then that's special because a lot of matches don't hold up after many years. But it's the crowd and it's the violence that they bring. That the chops that Flair are hitting all look very painful and funk the way he bumps. He just bumps like a madman. It's absolutely crazy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little bit farther. I say not only does it hold up. I think it's better than probably 80% of what we have now. You don't get those kind of bills anymore, too. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Working Fans Podcast. It's your boy, number one fan, Dave, producer Joe, and calling in today, AJ. How we doing, guys? Good. Awesome. <clears throat> All right. Why don't we start off? What's that? No, I was just saying we got a snowstorm on my side. It's supposed to snow all the way until Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> So that, that's AJ's way of saying that's why he wasn't able to make it here today. But that's all right. <laughs> so why don't, we get, uh, why don't we get started with the wrestling? AJ, why don't we talk with uh, you first? What's the first thing you want to talk about this week that you saw? To me, I think the biggest thing that we saw this week in wrestling was probably Raw being a good show for the first time in God knows how long. And finally getting back to showing a little bit. They always say in wrestling that the best characters are the ones that you embrace a little bit of the truth of the person. And I think that Raw, going back to a Seth Rollins who's a little bit of a prick, is actually a good move on their part in embracing who he is. And because he's gotten that reputation now with the fans, from the Twitter, from everything that's been going on. So them going in that direction, I think is the right move for the WWE on Monday night. Yeah, I agree. I actually had Seth Rollins' heel turn as one of the things I was going to talk about, too. This guy just came off naturally as a bad guy to me. His line to Rey Mysterio, how you let us all down, too. I beat Brock twice this year, and you couldn't do it with your stupid kid. I was like, okay, that's good heel shit. In fairness, he was just telling the truth. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, speaking of heel turns, uh, we can talk about NXT a little bit, too. There are a lot of heel turns this week. Going back to the um, War Games, I know we talked about this in that last episode, but she continued Wednesday, I thought, too. Uh, Dakota Kai showed up on NXT with the knee brace of Deegan Knox. I thought that was a great touch and is really showing this other side of a personality of a girl that was such a classic baby face to me, so smiley and everything. To see her uh, performing this way is you know, showing another level to her act, and I'm really impressed with Dakota Kai. I gotta tell you, while she's doing a great job with the heel side of it as a personal character, kudos to NXT too for being smart enough to keep Tegan Knox off TV. The longer they can actually stretch this out and have her off TV for the next few weeks, the more you have a chance to grow the heat that is on Dakota Kai, and the more chances Dakota Kai has to show that dark side, the more impact it's gonna have when they finally do get their hands on each other. And it's going to mean a lot more that way. Was there anything else in uh, NXT before we move on a little bit like this week? Did you want to talk about while we're going through these shows? Oh, are you kidding me? NXT, to me, was the show of the week this week. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed AEW. But NXT, once again, just hit it out of the park. I think whether you look at how well Adam Cole does once again on the microphone, Mm. coming out with the Undisputed Era, and everybody celebrating and what the hell are you guys celebrating about we're the ones who did everything and taking the credit being those heels those true heels and ripping it away from everybody how about the bump of the week too oh god that keith lee 
Yeah. Knocking Adam Cole all the way from Full Sail to, I think, Georgia University. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that was a pretty good pump. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but not only that, but you had the interesting storyline. We talk about things. WWE protecting their wrestlers. During the commercial break, Bobby Fish switched out and subbed in for because of what they were afraid of was a nasty bump that could have led to neck and concussion protocols. So I don't know if that caught you guys a little off guard when all of a sudden you saw Roddy Strong in the ring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was surprised <laughs> but, by that. I think Bobby's okay. It was just precautionary, though, so hopefully that's the case. No, no and, he, and he is, thank God, but it's good to see the WWE actually caring enough yeah. to take those precautions now. Because let's face it, there was a time period in the WWE where they would have just came back and you would have seen him hanging on the ropes just, you know, dazed and confused. Well, I'm sure Chris Cruz will be happy, too. Yeah, well, too, Chris Cruz. <laughs> Now, another thing from NXT, how do you like the direction of where uh, Finn Balor's going? Oh, I like it. You know, we were heading to this later. That's another person. I was thinking about, well, I just thought I'd dress both now. Like Finn Balor, Tom Waller from MLW turned on Ross Von Eric this week in a title match he had with Jacob Fatu, cost him the match. And at the end of it, he says, F you Contra, F you Von Eriks. Finn Balor beats Ciampa with the help of Adam Cole, but then lays out Cole too at the end of it. So I kind of liked it, this thing in wrestling now where we're having bad guys that are heels but not necessarily have an alliance to somebody. Like, yeah, I'm a heel, I'm a bad guy, but I want your strap. Well, I also like it because it adds a little bit of realism to it. Hmm. Just because two guys are bad people doesn't mean they like each other. Right. You, you know, it, there's always been this weird thing in wrestling where just because you're a bad guy and I'm a bad guy, we've got to work together. That doesn't make any sense. Sometimes in life, the people that are most like us are the people we hate the most mm. because they remind us of our own freaking being a jerk or whatever it is, you know? I want to talk about something, too, this week, just in wrestling in general. And I'm going to use two, to, two examples of good and bad. Cartoonish. Jericho talked about this on the Keeping It 100 podcast a little bit where uh, he was mentioning how his interview, which I thought was great from AEW, with uh, Scorpio Sky and Jer- uh, Jericho. This is going from two weeks ago now, where uh, Scorpio Sky said, oh, I don't want the title shot. Chris, I could never beat you. And he's like, well, you got the title shot, you know? Which I guess, by the way, for people who didn't know, was a storyline that Tony Khan came up with based off of Ric Flair and Jerry Lawler in Memphis, where Lawler was telling Flair, oh, Rick, I'm never going to beat you anyway, but what about a title shot, you know? Which I thought was pretty cool. I, I've actually, I, I, I've actually seen that footage. Yeah. Of Lawler actually doing it when Flair came down. Flair was obviously the NWA champion at the time. Mm. He came through Memphis. Lawler was the baby face, and he pulls literally the same exact thing where he's like, "No, I, I you know, I'm just from this local promotion, Rick. I don't really belong in the ring with you." Right. Right. And and basically it ends up working the same way. Yeah, definitely check um, that out on YouTube. It worked really well. Plus, other than people like ourselves who have actually watched literally thousands upon thousands of hours of wrestling, not everybody's going to actually get that. Huh. So I think you can pull a storyline like that out of the past. Let's face it, a lot of the storylines that we do see today still are storylines that we pull out of the past. Well, anyway, too, what my point was, you know, like a little cartoonish, but good in a good way. And Jericho's point was he was talking about The Fiend. And The Fiend, I think, is a great character. But his point was Brian before the match with the Phoenix Survivor Series, Miz comes up to him and says, you know, for the sake of our children, you need to win. 
And he's right. Like, to me, that was just so over the top. It's like, okay, buddy. All right, nobody's, nobody's going to steal our kids in the middle of the night. And then this week, too, again, I like the Firefly Funhouse segments on SmackDown. Thought they were well done. And then the end, the Fiend and Brian are fighting. He pulls them under the ring. I don't have a problem with that. But then he supposedly starts ripping his hair out. And you're seeing this, you know, giant clumps of hair flying and... It just looks stupid. It just I, it takes me out of it. Like there's a part of me that really likes this character because they do such a good job with it. But then they just go in a direction sometimes where I'm like, what the fuck is this? See, now I agree with that 100. percent However, I got to just tell you they did do something good with the theme this week also. Though. Yeah. And, and it actually involved the Miz, where they talked about how everybody so far who has wrestled the theme has changed. And think about it, they really have. Every single person. Seth Rollins now embracing his bad guy being turned into the heel. You've got every person who's wrestled the Fiend so far has not been the same person after they're actually done wrestling him. Who was the first person? Finn Balor. There you go, Finn Balor, who has actually gone heel again and back to who he was before, embracing his inner demon. So far, every person who has wrestled the Fiend is going back to who they once were or their inner side. Brian might be actually doing it the opposite way, whereas he's going now back towards the yes movement and back towards his inner goodness, if you look at it. Actually, uh, I'd have to say, too, somebody at the writing staff sounds like they're paying attention, so <laughs> good for them. And uh, Brian got an amazing reaction, too, this week. That Those yes, I think this is, like, really what he needs to be doing anyway because the people want to chant yes with him, and they love this character. So I think we can agree the overall storyline and how they're putting it together and making it make sense mm. is awesome. But as usual, the WWE is taking it that step too far with the ridiculousness, with the hair and the stuff like that. Now, it would be funny if Brian came out this week with that old-fashioned haircut that he had when he first came in. You know, the square cut with the... Yeah. <laughs> I thought that might be where they go with this. Now, let me ask you, there's something about AEW I want to talk about. First, what are your thoughts on AEW this week? I thought AEW as a whole was good. I like the fact that they focused a little bit more on the women's wrestling this week and made the women's wrestling a little bit more uh, legitimized. I don't like the fact that they had Chris Statlander come in and do the job. She is a tremendous athlete. She's actually been a top top pick. There were rumors about a month ago that she was going to be signed by NXT, and she had to come out and actually say, no, 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 I have not been signed by NXT. And everybody was curious as to how fast she actually replied to that. And now it actually makes sense seeing that she's now the newest person under contract to AEW. The Jericho Scorpio Sky Bash, I thought that was what it needed to be. Scorpio Sky looked great, but at the end, Jericho came out with the belt. Okay, I am not going to be popular at all here. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I did not like this match. Okay. Um, Scorpio Sky is a tremendous athlete, and I know we talk about. Chris Jericho, being, you know, he continues to grow and be a new person. I thought he was a step behind Scorpio Sky here, and I did not think he did a good job of keeping up with him. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that are going to listen to this podcast and they're going to be like, oh no, Chris Jericho is still there. He's losing a step, guys. He, 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 he's not in the same shape. I know he was doing the DDP yoga. He's getting a little thick around the middle. He's not moving the same. He's not bumping the same. And to me, he's losing a step in the ring. What did you think about the celebration, though, beforehand? With Sammy and him taking the picture and the poster? I thought that was well done. Well, first of all, anytime you bring in Freight Train Jones, you're doing the right thing. <laughs> so Train Jones, buddy. <laughs> so, uh, whatever. <laughs> God damn, he's, you know, he's not, he's 
always going to be freaking Virgil Voss. <laughs> that meat first sauce. Of all, this is a guy, yeah, first of all, this is a guy who, if you give him a freaking plate of spaghetti and meat sauce from the Olive Garden, will do co sign for your kids at the bar mitzvah. <laughs> so, and the guy's a bit of a douche when you do see him. Just so, have his fuck money, that's all you ask. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't have the most respect for him in any shape or form. But I thought the segment overall was fantastic. I love the fact that SCU was in the marching band the whole time. That's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. SCU, anything they touch is pretty much gold right now. Okay. I think that they're charismatic. I think that they're charismatic. I think the fans absolutely love them when they get them chanting along with the SCU. I love Christopher Daniels with the mic stand as much as I dislike. What's the young lady, uh, Japanese wrestler, who does the mic stand? Emi Sakura. I, yeah, I always say her name wrong, so I'll let you say that. She is absolutely horrible with her mic stand, and I think it's ridiculous. But for whatever reason, it works for Christopher Daniels. Well, here's something I want to talk about, and then we're going to go to our next segment. Well, unless Joe's got something he wants to add to. But. Well, I was going to say that. Was, was that the first segment that was almost derivative of an idea that happened in WWE? Kind of rehashing that oh. festival of friendship? Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah. And it was done, I thought, better. Yeah, I thought it was pulled off much better, to be honest with you. Jericho's dad going <laughs> heel? <laughs> first of all, anytime you can get Ted Irvine on a show, good, good job. <laughs> and the fact that the fact that he, he knew that they were in Chicago and he put over his Rangers, which are a huge rival of Chicago, it was a great opportunity, and he really pulled it off. It was such uh, a slow burn. One thing I want to talk about uh, before we wrap this up, uh, and I, I got to admit, I'm jacking this from the Brian and Vinny show on Wrestling Observer who brought this up, but I thought it was such a great point. The immediately segment came off awkward, but I'll, I'm going to explain the segment and what segment I'm talking about. And I'm going to steal a little bit from them, so if anyone catches this and it sounds familiar. But Cody Rhodes has a match, some enhancement talent. He gets the win. And suddenly, the Butcher <laughs> um, is the coming up. The Blade was in the Oh, ring. the Blade. The yeah. Blade comes in the ring first. And now, Brian and Vinny, actually, Brian's like, I don't know who the hell this is. And I watch a lot of wrestling. I've actually got to see the Butcher and Braid live one time. So, But I, I get it. I can yeah, see I actually it. Knew, I actually knew who both of them were. So. Yeah. Well, we saw the butcher in the blood sport with Barnett. Yes. Right. But and then of course, and then of course, the other one is actually Allie's husband. Right. So it's just kind of funny when he comes up the butcher. And he says the crowd is looking around confused. He says and Jr. is like, "Who's this?" And Excalibur's like, "It's the butcher," and or it's the blade. And then uh, basically, you know, he starts attacking Cody. And then the butcher comes up, and Ross is like, who's this? And Scalper's like, it's the butcher. And everybody starts chanting, who are you? Who are you? And their point, I have to agree, is if the storyline here is that Excalibur is so knowledgeable of wrestling, and he knows everybody, and I think we all agree that he's a great announcer, he probably in these situations should give us a little more in that to explain like who these are, whether they wrestled from... You know, these guys are out of the East Coast, and, or these guys are from the Midwest, or whatever you want to describe it. But it just comes off weird and awkward when, you know, it's just like, it's the butcher. This is true, by the way. Actually, whether it's Gordon Soley, Jim Ross, Marlon, he's actually, he'll have ones that he likes, but he's actually not an overall fan of announcers. He actually shits on announcers. This is something we've never talked about in the podcast, and I've actually mentioned it to him. And another thing, I'm just going to throw this out here now, too, is... 
those great video packages you ever see in wrestling or the ones like the WWE's really good oh, producing? God, he God. hates that shit, too. <laughs> Just know that. Anyway, go ahead, Adam. Tell you the whole thing. Yeah, video packages are pure garbage. <laughs> but let's go into the announcing. First of all, you want to get over this segment, and here's what you do. J.I., keep your mouth shut. You clearly don't know who they are. He doesn't even need to say anything in that segment. Have Excalibur actually come with the knowledge and actually say, Oh, my God, it's the Blade. It's the Butcher. And actually tell us a little bit about him in that segment and get it over without making J.R. look like he has no idea who any new talent is. Also... Whatever happened to the good old days in wrestling where people just got excited because they saw talent that they didn't recognize? Mm. Just because you don't recognize somebody doesn't mean they're not somebody. We have literally right now one of the biggest resurgences in independent wrestling in the world where people are just top talent all around the world working fantastic matches, working great matches. Instead of actually shitting on it because you don't recognize somebody, how about we look at it and go, holy shit, these guys do look scary. These guys do look crazy. And how good did Allie look in her freaking costume, for Christ's sake? The bunny! Uh, exactly. Instead of actually shitting on it as um, wrestling fans, why don't we actually get wrapped up into it and get excited like we did in the old days? When Bruiser Brody came from town to town, not everybody in every town that was at the wrestling show knew who Bruiser Brody was when he first hit the ring. But let me tell you something. They were either scared or impressed by the time he left that ring. And I thought the Butcher and the Blade did an actual good job of attacking Cody. So, you know what? Good job, AEW. Actually, we talked about... I got to bring up something here. I was going to say something purpose will get you going, but I'm going to backtrack actually instead. Joe, did you go to that Foxwoods American Auto Card? You missed it this year, didn't you? I missed it, yeah. The Butcher and the Blade took on the Rock and Roll Express on that card. Yeah. But you know who else was on that card? Nick Gage and uh, Mr. Retro Grappler. Thomas Santel. Thomas Santel wrestled Tom Lawler and... Do you remember the guy I was supposed to with? Brian Alvarez. Brian Alvarez, yeah. And Brian Alvarez didn't know who these guys were, but he was on the same show. <laughs> another funny little thing and another thing where the announcers look like assholes to me people put way too much into the announcers it's no different than sports when I'm when I'm watching a true sport it's the action on the TV that tells the story the announcers should be the salt and pepper to it they should be the seasoning they shouldn't be the story and when you come out of it and you have podcasts that are actually talking about what the announcers did wrong or right according to their beliefs when it comes to the angle Guess what? You're putting way too much into the announcers. <laughs> it should be about the angle. Hello, everybody. It's former WWE superstar Al Snow, and you're listening to the Working Fan Podcast. This is a man of steel, Mike Verna, and you are listening to the Working Fans Podcast, a hell of a podcast, everything wrestling, everything life. Do yourself a favor. Check this out. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave and Joe with the Working Fans Podcast, and today we have up-and-coming wrestler, up-and-coming actor. This guy keeps very busy. Mike Verna, the Superman. Mike, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very, very good. Thank you guys for having me. I've been pretty excited once we launched this bit. So I'm definitely, definitely, definitely very, very happy to be a part of this right now. What's going on with you guys? Oh, not much. Mike, I was saying, you know, you're super busy. Like when I was doing my research on you, like you're so you're actually going to an independent show right now. And you're still doing this. So we appreciate that, yeah. too, first off. No, no, no. No, like I said, I appreciate you guys for doing this because right now on the GPS, it says I got two hours and three minutes of pure red. So this is, this is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> we'll kick off with a basic one. Your earliest memories of pro wrestling. Uh, did you grow up a big fan? Did, what, you know, what was the start with pro wrestling? Yeah, so I, I, I was a big fan of pro wrestling. Um, I was a big fan of Bret Hart. 
definitely. So I don't want to sound redundant because I'm sure every single interview you've heard pretty much will probably be the same thing. But for me, when I was a kid, I had two real deal like passion, two things that I was obsessed with. One was baseball and one was pro wrestling. Now, when you're a young kid, especially a guy or whatever it may be, you're very exposed to sports as a child. Whether you play playing football, you play soccer, you play t-ball, all that stuff. So I started playing baseball at three years old. So, I mean, it kind of was just something that I just put in by my parents, and I didn't know that I would actually love it, but I ended up loving it. So I kind of played that all the way through high school. And what I'll get to with the next point about stopping at high school, well, that, that's where wrestling came into. As a kid, you really never had the, the opportunity to ever be like a wrestler or know that there's a wrestling school or, or how you actually get involved in wrestling. Uh, hold on one second. A, little, a kid is a uh, youth player. Uh, speaking of sports, a youth player is asking for a donation outside my, outside my car. <laughs> not a problem, not a problem. There you go, boys. Good luck, good luck. All right. There you go. They're going to fart him. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to pull a heel move on there. Everybody, get out of here, kids. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Uh, yeah, there goes my career right there. <laughs> yeah, with the, uh, you never really ever had a chance to do any kind of like wrestling as a kid. You know, you never really had the idea. Like, you would, you would know about it, you watch about it, you love it, but you never really thought that you could do it. Like, I had no idea as a kid that you could actually grow up and there would be steps and there would be schools and training academies where you can actually, you know, train to be a professional wrestler. So as I got a little bit older and, you know, I was in the prime of my playing career, I, you know, I was captain of the baseball team in high school. I had several, I knew I was staying home for college. So that, that's the first point I'm going to make here. I knew I was staying home no matter what. I just didn't want to go away. Yeah, do I regret it now that I'm an adult and I had to go away to school? Yeah, but I had plenty of friends out there. So I visited them. I did my party, got my fit with that. But I, I knew I was staying home. So every single school that had dealers out for me, we're all local New York based, city wise or Long Island. So I sat there and I said, okay, I got some good choices to play ball. But what happened was, is at that particular time, I started getting back into wrestling. So when you're a kid, you know, you always go through out of your face. So not to get too off topic about your question, I, mean, I got into it as a kid, there's no doubt about that. But to get into how I got into wrestling, you get that in and out phase. You start maybe like early high school, the guy the stage, you don't want to do it, you're embarrassed, all this stuff. Uh, but you never really lose touch of like liking it and enjoying it. You're always a fan deep down, but you're not as public about it anymore. As I finished high school, wrestling started getting that boom again. It wasn't really in the, in the position it is now, but it started kind of getting cool around the 18-year-old guys that I was friends with in the early 21s. You go to the bar, and all of a sudden you have a wrestling reference, and someone's wearing like an NWO shirt. And then there's, there's that low-key excitement. You kind of get giddy, like, oh, and all of a sudden you find yourself at a bar, drunk, talking about, you know, the attitude error. 100%. With, uh, people that you just met. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. That yeah. started kind of getting into my, my, uh, my lifestyle again. When I started liking it, and I started realizing, oh, why did I stop liking it? So when I had the chance that I was like 18, 19 years old, and I did my first run of workouts with the, the team that I, I, that I selected, which was College of Staten Island. And it, it's a D2 program now. And I, I got going, and I, I said to myself, I was like, you know what? I really don't know. And this kills me, pains me to say, because I'm sure we'll get into it, but I'm a college baseball coach now. So I try not to tell this kid this story to my to my players themselves, unless they really need a heart to heart and let them know where where their life is going. <laughs> but I do deep down, I said, you know what? I, I just don't think I want to play anymore. And like I said, it pains me now to talk about it because of how much I love baseball and, and how it's become more of my passion than wrestling, only because wrestling is my career. So I had the chance for baseball to be my passion. So when I had that that, that like ultimatum on myself, I said, okay, I, I think I want to actually go pursue this wrestling thing. And it was at that particular time 
where Zack Ryder started doing his YouTube show, the Two Long Island Story, and huh. it was very, very popular, and it was super cool. And the Big O, who was actually my first editing partner, was highly showcased on it, and it was just all those little mini montages and everything like that. And then I found out that NYWC out in Deer Park, Long Island, was only about an hour away from my house. And now all of a sudden, I opened up Pandora's box and said, holy shit, I can do this thing that I always wanted to do, and now I have a chance to do it. So that was really how, a lo- really long story of how I got, how I got into wrestling. <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. I didn't know uh, that makes a lot of sense. I was just talking about... Some of the day, how uh, Zach Ryder and maybe Matt Hardy were some of the first guys who really used social media to kind of get themselves yeah, out there and get over. And now everybody does it because it's just a thing. It's a lifestyle. Now you can get your job. Now you can get your job. Right. 100%. Yeah. That's one thing I noticed Like when I was looking you up. Like, you're extremely busy. Like, you're on it. Like, when I tried to contact you, you were super on it. You have, you know, it seems like your Facebook, your Twitter. You got a lot of that. You're very active. You're obviously in movies. We'll talk a little bit about that, too. What drives you? Why are you just this active, busy guy? Well, that's honestly a great question. And um, I fight that battle with myself every day because I sit there and I've never realized how important and how valuable a day off is until I started living this lifestyle. Mm. But honestly, I, I just, I never wanted to settle for anything less than what I wanted to do. And that's not enough. Like, my brother's a police officer. My cousin is a firefighter. My nephew's a police officer. My friends are corn officers, nurses, teachers. Everything that's such a valuable job in this world that should be getting paid way more money than anything that we do out there. But it just wasn't for me. I didn't want to, I use the word settle uh, poorly. I don't mean it as a job that I was settled for. But that is something when you grow up in New York City, teachers get paid very well. And the public service, uh, public service men and women, they, they, it's not that they get paid well, but they have a very comfortable living uh, situation once you get on the job. So what happens with a lot of the people around me is once they graduate college, if they graduate college, or once they graduate high school and they kind of start getting, taking these tests in the city, they kind of just get complacent with like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a great life. I'm going to have a wife, a kid, a husband, and all this stuff is going to be, you know, simple yet stable. I never had that mindset whatsoever. Like, even when I went to school, um, I went for media studies and communications and network television stuff. So I went, for school, went to school for something that is a risky job, but it's something that I, I rather would have done something I'm passionate about rather than, like I said, settling, even though I think that's a full word choice for it. I just didn't want to do that. So I, I sat there and I said, you know, like, I can't, I can't live that basic lifestyle. One of my acting coaches, not to jump forward, is Chad Palminteri from the Bronxdale, analyzed this, all oh, he's elected. Obviously, he came up with the, the quote, the sad thing in life is waste of talent. And every time I drive, and every time I, every time I live, I mean, it's in my wallet. He, he, gave, up, he gave up this card. Um, on that card, it says the quote, the sad thing in life is waste of talent, and it's signed by him. Um, I have one in my car and one in my wallet. Just to remind me every single day, like, if you go and get tough or if I'm burnt out, if I really don't have any time whatsoever to kind of enjoy myself or have a social life, I just look at that card and I say, you know, that's the way thing in life is wasting talent. Like, if I don't do this, what the hell am I doing? I'm wasting it. You know, there, there are a lot of people, not to sound narcissistic, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that wish they were in my shoes, but a lot of people can't handle uh, that lifestyle. So I can't take that lifestyle for granted. Although it may be hard and difficult, it's something that I was, like, blessed to be a part of and, like, you know, I was given to, so I, I, I got to make the most of it, you know? Hundred percent. Yeah, it's funny. I have a little side business. I bring this up once in a while. I feel like an idiot talking about it, but like I feel like I can relate a little bit. Like I have a business where I deliver bread, and I get up at two in the morning every day. And I've been doing this for the last three years. I've had Christmas off. It's the only day off I take. But I was telling someone, and I think you're a lot more faster paced. But I think when you start going, you kind of get in that mentality, almost like where you can't stop. Is that probably? Yeah. 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 
that's exactly exactly the way I look at it. Like when I have when I have an off day, like I said, I love it. I absolutely love 100%. it. I, I find myself driving myself crazy with like, what, what am I going to do? I need to do something. I got to go to the gym. I got to do this. I got to do that. And it's just this whole like mindset of like, like you said, a complete stop. Like you don't know, you don't know what to do. And then once you start. As you can say, as you can tell by the way I talk, once I stop, I can't stop. Once I start, I can't stop. <laughs> well, you're in a good industry for that, man. Acting and wrestling. Yeah, is you a, go. Yeah. Right. What what got you into acting? Why don't we just go over there, right there? Like, well, how did that uh, come about? Well, it's a great, yeah, great segue there. Um, well, honestly, wrestling, pro wrestling, is what got me into acting. When I was a kid, I always, you know, when you have a big family, uh, a couple of Italian households, we have a lot of family members, a lot of cousins, a lot of nieces and nephews, and all that stuff within the same age range. When you're a kid. You kind of just grab the old camcorder and you start making like movies, like little narratives that you think you're going to win an Oscar, but they're really like four minutes long and they're the shittiest things you've ever seen. But I had a lot of those, you know what I'm saying? Uh, oh yeah. Of these, you know, Mike Mike Taverna slash Mike Verna videos that had a lot of you know great great ideas in the in the heart of it, but they weren't very good. <laughs> yeah. um, so I always enjoyed like filmmaking and like acting and always kind of like performing. But like I said before, I was always an actor, so I never really had a chance to kind of you know, do it, and, and honestly, you know, not to sound hypocritical, when I was a kid, I had zero interest in actually doing it, because it was a different time in the 90s, you know what I'm saying? Guys played sports, girls went to dance, and did all the kind of, like, we started, I know it sounds a little crazy, but that was the 90s, deal with it, you mm-hmm. know, people. It's a different world now, but in the 90s, it was, you know, men did boys, did boys then, oh, yeah. girls did girls then, you know, thankfully now, it's obviously everyone can do whatever the hell they want, and that's a great thing, but at the time, it wasn't something that I thought about pursuing. It just wasn't something I was truly interest, interested in pursuing, but I didn't always enjoy it. And then high school came along, and there was this thing in high school called Shake. And it basically was a competition where two grades went against the other two grades, in my case, it created structure. The costumes, they made the music, they ended up, it was the first grade type of thing. So, uh, did I lose you? Yeah. yeah. Where were we at? What was the last thing? I don't even know where we were. Well, you were talking about the two grades competing against the other two grades. Yeah, it's okay. There you go. So I got, kind of got recruited by like some of the girls that were you know, obviously involved in it. And I was like, yeah, why not? You know, there's a lot of girls in this thing. <laughs> you know, why, give it a shot. So I ended up doing that for my junior year and my senior year. And that was literally the only acting I'd ever done. And mind you, this was not acting. This was literally doing an after-school program in the, bay, in the off-season when there was no baseball practice to be around the freaking girls. That was it. So it wasn't really anything special. So what happened was, fast forward, you know, you know, five, six years later when I started wrestling, I, uh, what I noticed in New York City, a lot of talent scouts and a lot of agents, modeling agents, they go to professional wrestling matches because they look for guys who, who can kind of do both. You know, they can kind of, okay, this guy's a good body, he's got a good face, maybe we can get him into modeling. So what had happened was I had a couple of talent scouts come to wrestling events in New York City, and that's how I actually met my agent. So he actually, you know, found me on Facebook. He said, hey, I was at the show. Um, I thought you were really impressive. I would love to talk about representing you um, in modeling uh, modeling and acting. I thought it was a joke, because let's be real. I'm sure you heard this a million times. Wrestlers get some crazy DMs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I was like, what is this key? What does he want from me? <laughs> Right. So I kind of passed it off for a little bit, and then I saw that he started adding a lot of other wrestlers. And then Anthony Bowen, if you're familiar with him, he's in the Tri-State area at a WrestleFoe. If you're not familiar with him, he's very talented. He's another wrestler in my area. And he has the same, the same manager, uh, same agent, rather. So I hit him up, and I was like, hey, is this, guy, is this guy legit? And then he told me, yeah, I've been with him for so and so many months, and he's been good, he's been getting me on this. So then I said, all right, let me actually message him. And I linked up with him. 
and I started, I got represented, I signed on with them, and then I started actually taking classes. And in the midst of taking classes, just through that whole networking aspect, it's the same thing in wrestling. You meet people and all of a sudden one door opens and it's just a domino effect. So I met, I threw those classes, I met some people, and all of a sudden I found myself working on background roles for big Warner Brothers television, uh, movies like Ocean's Day, a couple of shows on CBS. Now background work anyone can do. But it's experience. It gets you it gives you an idea of how to like how the business works and like what it takes to actually make a movie and how long and how stressful the situation really is. Uh, but from that again, you network and all of a sudden I'm getting phone calls now say, Hey, we have an independent movie called Bare Knuckle Brawler. We need guys that are in shape that know how to fight, know how to stunt fight. As a pro wrestler, you kinda of automatically know how to stunt fight. So I landed some gigs doing that and then I got my union card and then once you get your union card, all of a sudden your stock goes up a little bit. Then you get represented by a manager. Now you get an agent and a manager, and all of a sudden you just start getting roles and auditions. And can't. So one went to another with the acting world, but how I got into it was just a crashing, complete luckiness. Mm. Someone seeing me, someone saying I could do it or I should do it, and then taking some classes and realizing that acting is not that much different than wrestling. You know what I'm saying? Like it's basically the same thing. You know, it's funny, you grew up in New York, and first time I ever went to New York, I was just trying to, like, date this girl at the time, and she wanted to go to New York. And I said, yeah, I'll drive to New York, and thinking it was going to be the traffic was going to be like Boston and Providence, and not realizing, oh, this is a completely different animal. And Oh, my God. Yeah, and so that's kind of where I'm going. It's like, New York is an interesting place to live. It's super busy. What was it like growing up in New York, and do you think that, you know, kind of helped you being able to be the busy guy you are? Uh, I think you just hit it right on the head. Like, I, I, it's funny now because as I get older, um, I'm 28 now, and I know I'm not old, but as I get older, I start to appreciate the, the little things in life. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> and I, I, whenever I travel, like that's the best thing about wrestling is that you travel so much and you get to see so many different areas, um, different states, different countries, and you realize how different it is from what you're used to or what you grew up seeing. And I realized how different, like you said, New York really is from the fast-paced aspect of things, how fast people move, the congested nation of it, uh, nature of it, the, the progressive aspect of like everyone needs to do something successful. So it's motivating in a lot of ways, but it's also very overwhelming at times. And I tell people now, like I said, as I get a little older, that I, I, well, I live in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, when you think of Brooklyn, you think of a lot of things. You think of buildings, you think of a lot of people, you think of the mafia, you think of gangs, you think of, you know, all, a million things that come to your mind. I live in a neighborhood in Brooklyn that is very, very similar to a suburban. I can't even think of a think of an area up by you that would be super suburban, but to me, in New York, it's like Long Island. So my 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 town or my my neighborhood in Brooklyn is more similar to a Long Island place rather than a, a New York City place. So I tell people now, like if I didn't live in that area my whole life, I'm not quite sure that I would love. Living in Brooklyn only because of right now how crazy it is with sure. the amount of people. You can't drive anywhere. You can't park anywhere. It's just insane. And especially now, Brooklyn's become a, a little Manhattan because Manhattan's prices just gone through the roof. So Brooklyn is now like the, the new destination of A for tourists and B for living. So it's gotten, it's become pretty. But that fast paced living and that, and that, you know, always going city never sleeps mentality, and that's a, that's a shoot. This city does not sleep. I mean, I, it's insane. Sometimes you'll literally get home from. You know, if I'm on the road and I get home at 4 o'clock in the morning, I can literally, if I, were, if I was crazy, I could go to a bar and just start my night. That's how crazy it is because it's, 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 it's funny because out by you, I'll leave a show and I'm trying to find a gas station and gas stations are closed at 9 o'clock. I mean, how's that possible? Right. New York City, we're, we're, we're open 24 hours, you can buy beer 24 hours, there's no dry time, there's nothing. It's just craziness, 24-7. 
but it's just you are hundred percent right that that type of living is kind of like what's molded me to be able to do this, like just just not stop going. Your nickname, Superman. Uh, obviously, you know you're in roles. Is that something? Like, are you a big comic book fan too? Like, how did that come about? That's great. That's a great question too. So the, the Man of Steel name. It, it, I'll tell you how that came. To answer your first question, growing up, did I like comic books? Yes. Was I a comic book fanatic? No. So I wasn't. I wasn't big in collecting comics. I didn't read them often. I loved the movies growing up. I was a huge Batman and Robin fan. I loved the Superman movies. All that stuff growing up. I mean, we were the Tim Burton Batman era, so we had Batman Forever, Batman Returns, Batman with uh, Batman the First One with Jack Nicholson, and then it was then it got crazy with Batman and Robin and all that other stuff. But that was the movies I grew up watching. So I always, always loved superheroes. I no doubt about it. I was, believe it or not, at that time I was a bigger Batman fan than Superman. Mm. No doubt about that. But I wasn't a huge like fanatic as I got out of that those early childhood stages. How I got the name was when I was so I was at NYWC. I actually had to stop for a little bit uh, for training there because I, I at the time had gotten a really good uh, promotion at work. So when you're like 18 years old and the minimum wage in New York right now is 15, but at, but at the time it was just 15 when I was when I was that age. So I got offered a job at 18, making 13 dollars an hour as a manager of a GNC store. So I saw fucking stars at that point. So I was like, all right, let me do this. So the obviously the responsibility got a little bit more um, intense, and I couldn't train as often as I would. So I had like a six month hiatus from NYWC. To make my life a little bit easier, I met someone who worked to my who uh, worked at the gym I trained here yeah, at Harvard Fitness in, in, in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, he's a wrestler. He doesn't work as actively now because he's getting married and stuff like that. But his name is Talent. Great, great wrestler. Very, very underrated. Need to get out there. But long story short, he was a wrestler. So I found through him, I found out that he was training with Joel Maxwell at the SKT over at Park Slope, Brooklyn, which is, like I said, about a 15, 20-minute drive away from me. And, they, and, they, and they, their hours were a lot more open than MYWC. So I said, oh, crap, this is my chance to kind of get back in the ring. So it was kind of meant to be to go back there. Um, so once I started training with him and I was getting ready to uh, debut, I, I just didn't have a name. I could not come up with something. Like, Joel was coming up with ideas like uh, Ethan Chase, Ethan Fox. I don't know why he's thinking to call me Ethan, but Ethan Fox. Mm-hmm. Mike Chase, many said Mike Benoit because I looked like Chris Benoit. There, that, that would have really skyrocketed my career. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be good for you. Yeah, I was like, yeah, no, no, that. So we were just, we were just sitting there thinking, and I told him, I said, no matter what, I said, I want to keep my name Mike. I said, I, I don't feel like I would be able to emotionally co- connect to a different name. Like it's just, it's not my, it's not my style. It was different in wrestling and movies. Is you could play a character in that fact. But wrestling, it's, it's kind of like a sport. You're that everyday person. So I just wasn't fully comfortable with a, with a name change other than Mike. So I said, let's stick with Mike and let's try to come up with a way to cut my, my last name down or something. So I was kind of leaning towards Verna because I knew when I was playing baseball, that's what they used to call me. They used to Verna. When I was up, it was always Verna or Vern or something like that. So I was like, let's just go with Verna. So it's Mike Verna. And now what's the moniker? Because every wrestler needs something. You can't just be John Snow or Johnny John Smith and expect to be, you know, a star. So I sat there and I thought that I couldn't come up with something. So one summer day, I'm training, sweaty as hell, my beard is very trimmed and short, so it didn't really look full. And my hair, because of the sweat, is starting to make that, that Superman curl, actually. On top of that, I'm wearing a Superman tank top. So I'm working out, and the, the ring is, and the, the training session's over, I'm getting ready to leave, and Joel looks at me and he goes, you look like Superman. And I said, okay, great. He's like, no, no, you look like Superman. And I was like, okay, where are we going? He's like, the man is you. That's your name? And then right then and there, I said, that's my fucking name. You know? huh? I just was, I was immediately able to kind of connect to it. And 
what I love about it, and I don't want to jump too far to like my wrestling career now, but what I love about it is, is one of the biggest praises I get about uh, my character or my my uh, performance is that as soon as my music hits, you hear the opening chords for the Superman. It's a, it's a metal version of the Superman. So you yep. hear the dan, and then that. And by the way, I worked for many different fam where they said, yeah, when we hear it, you kind of roll your eyes because you say, yeah, every single wrestler, you know, they'll have to ask and they'll make their own logo out of it or they'll call themselves Superman or they'll have the gear. Just it's a basic thing. Everyone has a Superman tattoo. So you hear it and you kind of roll your eyes. But as soon as I walk through the curtain, the, 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 I'll never forget it. The fans are like, I said, I got it. And he said, once I saw it, he's like, I could not take my eyes off it. He's like, as a comic book fan, as a Superman fan, I saw it, I believed it, I saw how you wrestle with the with the high flying and strength and the coming from coming from behind if I'm a baby face and I'm getting my ass whooped and then I come down again. It's like they got it. And that's one of the biggest phrases I get is that in a world where everybody wants to be a cool heel or a successful heel, I'm a I'm a baby face that can uh, that can basically um, cater to all demographics. So that Superman name, that man of steel name, like I look back at it. Are there times? Is there times when I look at it and say, "Ah, it's so cheesy, it's Superman." I mean, I look at it. Yeah, there are times where you kind of get bored. You're like, "How far can I go with this thing? How much can I stretch it before I kind of like corner myself?" But then I realize how how don't don't fix what's not broken. You know, like mm. it's literally giving me it's given me so much success in my career so far, and I've mm. been doing this for six seven years now. Like, if I continue to do this for the rest of my life, like I know that. It will be something that will that will help me get to where I want to be. I don't know why I'm thinking about this, Superman. We were uh, watching some matches with you before this, and there was a tag match. It was at Beyond Wrestling, and you were going looked like for a swanton. I want to say on Brian Malonis and maybe Cam, oh, and it looked like you hit pretty hard. And I said to Joe, I immediately got to ask him, like, what's the worst bump you've taken? I'm kind of curious, oh, like. So that that was up there, to be honest with you. Yeah. You remember, I kind of I took the bump and I kind of undertake the sat up and said, "I'm super bad for the bump," you know. Yeah. I'm not mistaken, you know, stuff like that. It looked brutal, though. I was like, "Yeah, he's no selling it." But it was so brutal, and Cam and both both Cam and Brian, they like apologized endlessly for it, and it was just something that it happened. Sure. You know, what we do is not that way. I know you heard that term before. It really isn't. And, like you go out there and you, you trust your body with, with friends and colleagues and other people that you work with and sometimes stuff just happens you know like positioning wise grip there's a bunch of stuff that happens so what happened happened and it definitely hurt a lot it's funny because Drew actually texted me the next day and said that bump broke in the basement it's like an out spot that we were wrestling in the basement they have all these old pictures of like all the elves from like 19, the 1800s for Christ's sake like it's that many like straight up antique pictures antique things something broke from that ball so the people weren't very happy uh Drew wasn't very happy but just just to put it into perspective of how hard that bump was it broke something underneath the floor huh. uh, so <laughs> wow. yeah but that that one hurt for a while I, I remember the next day I, I was banged up like when it happens your adrenaline is so high that you just don't feel anything but those next, the next day or the day after when you know, things start to kick in, that's when you start like, ow, this, that really hurt, that was a stupid idea, so on and so forth. That one hurt. Another match I had with NEW, we were in Holyoke, Massachusetts, and I was wrestling the wrestling ball. And this was kind of like a spot show and a spot match. We had like a long weekend, like we were in all these big venues, and then we just had this random Sunday show, and it was just kind of like, let's just go out there, six matches, and let's just go home. We had a long loop, like we're ready to do it. So it's me versus Wrecking Ball, and, and Wrecking Ball and I have great matches. Like, we're, 
Well, we have good chemistry. You know, wrestling ball is not the easiest person to work with because he's so big. So as, a, as an opponent, you kind of find yourself limited from a standpoint of moves and what you can get to him, so on and all that. But we have great chemistry, and we're not afraid to hit each other. We really lay each other in. So we were having one of these matches where we just going back and forth. And it started a little bit slow, but then we got to a moment where we just started striking the shit out of each other. And they were loud, and the crowd was just getting louder and louder and louder, and they were just starting to spark out. So we're getting hyped. We're excited now. Now we're ready to go. Because that's the one thing, as a wrestler, if the crowd is not there, and there are some shows where the fans are just they're like Japanese fans. They like to sit, they like to watch, they don't make noise. But when there's no noise, and there's no cheering, or there's no booing, or there's no investment, and don't get me wrong, part of that's on us. But if there isn't any of that, it drains you from a performance standpoint. You get winded quicker, you get out of the zone, you're not in the element. So at this particular match, they were, they were out, they were loud, they were pumped. So we're getting more pumped and we're getting more excited. So we're outside fight now and he throws me into the front row. So I fell that for a little bit and I start getting up and I say, suplex me back in. And we just did this on a fight. He's like, of what? I said, on the floor. So I just made him suplex me in onto the floor and I landed on my hip and my lower back. Mm. For, yeah, yeah. And like for about a week and a half, I could not walk. I literally was like shot. Like that was something that killed me. I, I mean, it was on me, it's not a wrecking ball, it was my call. Yeah, I just landed wrong. Like sometimes you just, you have these moments where you just don't flat back and you land on the side, you land on something weird. And it happens, like you said, what the business will be signed up for. So that hurt. And then the last thing was my only true knockout in my entire life. Like, I've never been knocked out in a fight. I've never been knocked out cold playing sports. I've never been knocked out wrestling other than this one moment, knock on wood. It had to be in, like, 2014, so like, or 2015, so one or two years into, like, my pro career. Still pretty green, still kind of experienced, still like a daredevil, not really caring about my body or anything like that, just kind of rolling with the punches, calling a match. So I'm in a five-way match, and I'm the champion at the, time, at the time. It's for a company in New York that used to be called Fighting Spirit Wrestling, which was, uh, the SAT's home promotion. So I was champ there, hometown crowd, all that stuff, and we're a five-way match, and I'm wrestling a guy by the name of Suntan Superman, who's a Brooklyn legend, but he doesn't really wrestle actively anymore. Mm. Uh, good friend of mine, he's about a 300-pound black cowboy. That's mm. his He's a drunken cowboy, he loves, he's like a, he's like Chef from South Park. Mm. He's a lovable guy, he's great. One of the signature moves was uh, a moonsault. So he would always hit it, I would always miss it. It would always be the highest spot, he climbs up, he does the moonsault, he misses, he eats the bump, and he goes into somehow. So this time he goes, you know, bro, I trust you. Let's, let's make this a good match. I'm like, okay, let's make it a good match. Like, I'm gonna hit the moonsault. So let them out. I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to hit the moonsault. So I'm like, all right, you know, two years later, okay, let's hit me with the moonsault. So I'm sitting there, we're calling up at something. Two things are gonna happen. Either I'm gonna break my nose or I'm gonna break my ribs. He said, don't worry, I landed you fine. We get to the spot in the match, he hits the moonsault, there's a video of it up on it on YouTube somewhere, it's very deep because the company tried to get rid of it because it's hmm. really hard to watch afterwards. Uh. He lands knee first on my head, I'm out like a light, I could not finish the match, people are trying to pick up my dead body, uh. trying to get to the next spot. Eventually I regained consciousness, I don't remember how, I don't remember what I did, but I hit someone with something and like, I was a chance, I could lose. Normally you just roll out and wake up whenever you wake up, but I couldn't lose. So I had to just eventually snap out of it and do something, and uh, that was it. But that was a pretty scary moment. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's a about. Like, you sometimes what's crazy is that people always ask, oh, what does this feel like? What does that feel like? Sometimes as a performer, you don't know what those things feel like until it happens to you. You know, God forbid you break your leg. God forbid you do something crazy. Like, I've never been concussed up until that. So I always think, oh, a concussion, how bad could it be? I was knocked up. Now, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was out cold. Yeah. 
had another eviction. And fun, the funny thing on top of that is as soon as that knock was over, I was supposed to have a phone call with Brody's claim for rent. I don't know what I said to him. I don't remember what I did to him. All I know is that at the end of the show, he gave me a wink like, okay, you did a good job. Because he knew I was, he knew I was gone. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's why like, I always tell people that don't like like wrestling or no wrestling. They're like, oh, is that that fake stuff? I'm like, let's go with predetermined because these guys are getting hurt. And sometimes that predetermined thing, I'm sure as you can tell, not everything <laughs> works out in the way it should be. When I, when, I, when I tell people, especially in the movie business, like when they talk about it, a lot of people in the movie business, they're very intrigued uh, about me being a wrestler. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, it kind of, Helped both of my careers. Like it helps wrestling because I'm not just this wrestler bubble guy, and it helps it, it with acting. Is it's like, oh, he has another skill. So it kind of it kind of balances itself out. And what I tell people with in Hollywood is like, like imagine not having a stunt person and having to do all your stunts, no matter how bad they are. And as soon as I say that, they're like, oh shit, you know. So it's like people get it, but it's hard for them originally to understand. Like, yeah. this is not easy, you know. Like this is not. This really isn't something that is made for everybody, like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like improv slash stuntman slash it's just... A hundred percent. That's yeah. what's funny. Is like, I literally tell people, like, you don't realize the similarities in various acting and wrestling. You know, I mean, one is much more of a, of a sport. Don't get me wrong, I still call professional wrestling a sport um, because it's that. You need to be an athlete to do this. I mean, there are people that can get away with being a really good entertainer. But when push comes to shove, you got to perform athletically. But in regards to the entertainment side of it, I mean, it, it's hand in hand with Hollywood. Yeah, and I think I heard Ric Flair or someone say before that uh, the guys that are going to make the most money are the guys that can talk and work. So, I mean, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's exactly it. That's spot on point. So, let's get into some of the wrestling. Uh, what are, I've seen you around Beyond, XWA. What are some of the companies you've worked for? I'm a regular, I'm a regular Chikara. I'm a regular and beyond. I'm a regular in XWA, Chaotic, Northeast Wrestling. I'll tell you this as, uh, as a short way to, to kind of compound the, uh, the, the company that I work for. I've worked in every company in the Northeast except for uh, House of Glory. That is the only company hmm. I have not worked for. And, uh, and Limitless, excuse me, and Limitless. Limitless and House of Glory are the only two companies I get with Disney credentials. You know, obviously that's opinionated, but to the fans, every company that is very popular with uh, the independent wrestling fan base, I've been honored and privileged to work for, except for those two companies. But regularly, uh, when it comes to some of the top or more top companies, uh, Chaotic has become a second home. Northeast Wrestling has become a second home. XWA, unfortunately, they don't run as much as they used to on Saturdays, and I can't make every Thursday night because of the busy schedule. But they're always the great thing. I love working there. Chikara has been part of that for the last four years. I've done I've done stints with Evolve. I'm not really, I'm not, you know, I mean, you have to be a contract to be Evolve, so I'm not with them consistently. But I've worked for Evolve. Like, like I said, I've, had, I've been pretty lucky to work with a lot of, lot of uh, top companies. And, and I plan on expanding that. You know, if I, if I can fit into my schedule and I can get out of the Northeast, that would make me nothing. Nothing would make me happier because I love going to California, A for acting and B for wrestling. I mean, there's bar wrestling out there. There's PWG, of course. I've never worked with PWG, but I've worked for bar wrestling. I love it. I love working for uh, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood with Dave Marquez and the NWA. Professionally run stuff. There's just so many hidden gems. When it comes to companies outside of the hotbed of uh, New England, New York, Philly, Jersey, that, you, that, that a lot of people just don't know about because uh, I'm lucky and I'm honored to live in a, in a, in a pro wrestling hotbed. Um, but it's just the, the best companies tend to run, arguably the best companies tend to run. So I, I really never felt like it was necessary to uh, leave the Northeast to kind of do more traveling because I was able to make a name for myself in my backyard. 
Now, did I see that you had a spot with uh, NXT? If that did that happen, and uh, I, I did. yeah, and yeah, how did that come about? Yeah, cool. Uh, so I had uh, my first trial. So I, I started back in 2013, like I said, and uh, I was very blessed to kind of get onto WWE's radar uh, nine, nine months into the business. So mm. I started October 2013, and I believe it was August. It was SummerSlam weekend, so it was August uh, 2014. Um, I had my first stint with WWE as an extra. And I did, back in the day, just to give you a quick rundown of how it works, uh, William Regal, this was right when NXT was just beginning 2014, where it was kind of just starting to find its roots of what it is. And Regal was coming on the road with TV every single week to kind of recruit uh, possible signees to extra work. So he would kind of be with us for like three days, and we'd, we'd have like a seminar the first day, and he'd just talk to us about what it takes, blah, blah, blah. And then the next day, uh, we'd start getting into badges and promos. Um, where he would kind of really dissect you and tell you exactly what they want and what they're all about. So through that, I kind of got WWE's radar very early on. So at that time, I was only 23, and something that stuck with me that makes a lot more sense now was William Regal looked at me and he said, you have everything we want. You have the look, you have the presence, you have the ring-in-ring ability, you can talk, you have a, a cultural background with Italy that helps you market globally and internationally, and you have head on your shoulders. He said, but the only problem is you're 23. He's like, you're not experienced yet. There's so much that you would have to experience in the world of pro wrestling um, that you wouldn't get to experience if we signed you to NXT, where you would just sit there at the performance center and, and train and get better, but not have the experience of what it takes to be a pro wrestler. And at that time, at 23, I sat there and I said, 23, I mean, if I was still playing baseball, I'd be, and I wasn't signed to a major league team, I'd be at the end of my career. Mm. You know, he's like, 23, tell me I'm too young. Like, I was kind of mind-boggled by that, but it makes so much more sense now because at 23, if I was signed to NXT, I would have never made it. I was nowhere near ready to go down to Florida and live that life. But to retrospect that timeline, 2014 was that gig. I did a lot, a lot more extra work with them over the next two years, and I finally got my tryout in uh, 2017. Trial went really good, and it kind of ended up being the same situation with age. I was 25 at the time, and they kind of just wanted me to. I got to, to, to tell you, break the fourth wall a little bit. I was one person that didn't want to take me just then. I can't tell you who it is, but it was one person that didn't want to take me just then. They wanted me to go out there and get a little bit more, but I was very, very close at the time of getting signed based on what I was told by the coaches and based on people that I, I networked with and that I'm connected with um, that actually have an inside scoop. Uh, I, I trained at the Franco's gym. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, so I got my run down through that, and I was very, very close to getting signed this time. Again, I was, I'm, I'm very happy I did because even at 25, I wasn't fully ready. I just know I wasn't fully ready physically, mentally, and even in the ring. So then, obviously, stay in the loop. 2017, then 2018 rolls around. I get a call from uh, Brian Cat, who's one of the producers down at NXT, and he handles uh, the, the extras who would come in and people that they want to take a look at and all that stuff. So he emailed me today, you know, we want to bring you down for uh, for a case, and NXT taping will have you work in um, Jack Ryder, who was formerly known as Gunner. So I was like, oh, cool, yeah, definitely. I mean, look, squash matches are what they are. They're not going to make you look good. They're not going to enhance their contract to talent. But it's a great experience as a wrestler where people, you get to learn. Like, you know, being a wrestler and having the opportunity to work with WWE as early as I was able to, I constantly want to learn, like, what does it take to do this? How does this go to work? How does this promo work? How do they put this guy over? How do they age at this match? So you kind of want to have every opportunity to learn, even if it's an embarrassing squash that you lose in two minutes, or if you go put on a 15-minute uh, masterpiece at WrestleMania, you're constantly learning. So I took that opportunity as another way to, hey, show them a professional, be learned, and see, get that experience. 
So um, I got the, the matches on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. Mitch, Mitch Traverna versus uh, Jason Reiser from, I think it was December 21st, uh, 2018. So it was the last Tennessee of last year. It was a great experience. Uh, Jackson Reiser is a gentleman. He's a patriot. Uh, he's a good man. The Vergonna mm-hmm. Suns are a great team. They were awesome. They took care of me. I'm very, very good friends with Bull James, uh, formerly known as Bull Jepsy, uh, and they, they were close to him when he was down there, so they really looked after me. So, I mean, it was it was a really good, pleasurable experience. Uh, Robbie Brookside was the agent for the match. Man, man, total professional. Just exactly, you know, really giving you knowledge that you, you thought you had that you never had. So it, it's just, it was an awesome experience. Yeah, I mean, I imagine, too, it's like kind of twofold. One, you're kind of learning the process so you're going to be a little more knowledgeable when you do get called up eventually and the other thing is too you're just like you said before you're making connections while you're down there too exactly exactly i got a question too i mean you know we talk about bums and stuff like that to you and i know you probably love working with everybody but is there a particular favorite opponent of yours Oh wow! Yeah, actually, uh, there is a particular favorite. I have I have a list of I have a list of uh, opponents that I'm really really vibing uh, with right now. I'm really having good matches. But one guy that I can always always say is my favorite opponent. He brings out the absolute best of me. He's selfless in the ring. He makes me look like a million bucks. Um, he, we just vibe. We have great chemistry. We're really really good friends. So that helps on top of things. As JC done. He to me, hmm. I, I can go out I can go out there tomorrow, uh, literally two minutes before we go out there to have a match and we will give you a five uh, a five star match. Just like that. Because we have that good chemistry. Another guy that I have amazing chemistry with that I love working is Christian Casanova, who's kinda on his way up now on that ladder. He's another guy that, that will literally the term of making you look good, I'm sure you've heard that as podcast guys uh, a lot. Uh, but it's, it's something that kind of, you can't put into words how important it is for a match. And I, I'm actually down on myself sometimes because as a bigger guy in the ring, uh, we bump a little bit differently the guys that are smaller or the cruiserweight guys, guys that aren't so muscle-bound, just because they have more flexibility. They just have more movement, body control, stuff like that. And I've gotten better as I drop all the weight from a heavyweight to a cruiserweight myself. Um, I've gotten better at doing it. But when a guy is able to kind of contort their body to control their movements when they take a bump that makes the other guys look like they literally turn your world inside out that does so much for wrestling like as fans i know they pop to two things they pop to a crazy bump or a flip bump or something like that or they pop to a loud strike those are two things that will always always get a reaction and when you wrestle a guy or a girl that can bump for you that way and they can do it so selflessly and they can do it so so beneficially for you I mean that that's just that's a testament to them. Like they're 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 going they're going above and beyond to their body to make you look good. And JT and Christian, I mean like I just I have a laundry with the guys that I have great matches with, but I wanted to ask you this before, we got a little away from it, but I noticed too, like with the acting, you had a producer credit on your list. How, how did that come about? So, um, one of the biggest projects I've been, uh, and I was told to plug this today, so thank you for that check. Oh, no problem. <laughs> we did one, it. One of, one of the biggest projects that I've been on so far is um, it's a pilot series called Mob Mentality. Um, growing up, uh, that was, and still to this day, that is my favorite genre of movies. I'm kind of uh, a mafia buff. Like, I love the genre. I love that lifestyle. Like, I mean, obviously, I don't live, love, I don't, you know what I mean? I got you, I got you, but. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I love everything about it other than the bad shit. But I, it's, it's kind of a dream role. So I kind of got into it, luckily, because uh, 
early on in your career, before you kind of have representation that really pushes for you, you kind of have to look for jobs yourself, do like casting websites and stuff like this. So this is a needle in a haystack here. It's a total diamond in the rough. Like these, these projects don't show up on these casting sites because these are projects that your manager and your agent is supposed to get you because they're valuable. They're pilot years. When you make a pilot, I mean, it, you're basically, it's like you're, you're, you're a creator wrestler. You know, you're, you're creating the ultimate wrestler to go headline WrestleMania. It's the same thing with a pilot series. You have the ability to make that creator wrestler to be the next star. Um, so I saw this John and I said, oh, I got an audition for this. So I auditioned for it and I got the role. And basically the, the, the series started as it being a sizzle reel. Are you guys familiar with a sizzle reel? Yeah. Yes. So it started as a sizzle reel, which is only going to be a two day shoot, about a five minute trailer that we had pitched at networks. That sizzle reel turned into a short film. Huh. That short film turned into a miniseries. That miniseries turned into a 30 minute episodic, 10 episode thing. Then it turned into a holy shit, this stuff is good. Networks wanted. We have to make it a full hour long pilot. So, long story short with that, I've been a, a part of the project since uh, 2017. It's now 2019. So, I've been with the project for two years. We just finished the first two episodes. Uh, and the only reason why we finished the first two episodes now is because the project evolved so much. Um, we saw it to investors. We were able to get money behind it, some big money to really create something that's really, really amazing. Um, so, producers are interested in it, networks are interested in it. So, I'm really, really lucky to be a part of this project. Uh, just to give you a fun year, December 18th, um, that's a Wednesday at the NBA Theater in Chelsea, Manhattan. The um, one night only premiere of Bob Mentality, the pilot episode, um, will be that night. Um, there is a ticket fee, it's $50 right now on the website, bobmentalitytickets.com. Um, it's open bar, it's a red carpet event, a lot of media, a lot of producers. Really, really massive event. It's the only time anyone who's interested in the show can see it now before we go into the television process of selling it. That could be six months, that could be a year from now, whatever it may be. could be tomorrow. You never know. But for the people that always wanted to see it or were involved or were interested in it, that night is the only time you can actually physically see it until it goes into the vault and it needs to be sold to the people who want to buy it. Uh, but back to the original question, being a part of the project for so long, you, you kind of start becoming invested in it because you know that the light at the end of the tunnel could be potentially a very big light. Um, it could change your life, it could change your career path, it could change everything. So I became very heavily in making this thing work by all means necessary. So what got me in producer credit was I have a lot of connections in Brooklyn. I also have a lot of uh, relationships in Brooklyn and a lot of people that uh, think very highly of me because of wrestling. They kind of see me as like a neighborhood celebrity, which is an honor. You know, you're yeah. in a small town of Brooklyn, but for you to be honored like that in your neighborhood, it's a very big deal. It's very important. It, it humbles me every single day. Um, and at the end of the day, if I don't ever high five WrestleMania, never make it big in AEW or any major company, at least I know I made the neighborhood proud. So there you <laughs> go. One off the bucket list. So because I was able to kind of get a lot of locations for free, I was able to get to my old high school, um, which is illegal, but I was able to get the principal to sign off on it, so it's still there. So when you do that, and you're able to kind of create all those benefits and opportunities for the production, you become a producer because you're producing something. You're creating locations, you're opening your house, you know, whatever it may be. So that's how I became a producer. But at the same time, when you talk about learning how I did the wrestling and NXT, it's the same thing with Hollywood. Like, if I'm going to make it as an actor, I need to know how every aspect of this business works. Otherwise, you're going to get eaten alive. Hollywood is just as doggy dog and blood in the water as a shark as wrestling is. So you kind of have to be prepared to know every aspect of this business. So I looked at it as, hey, if I can be a producer, I don't even care about the credit. If I can be a producer and learn what a producer is and how to get shit done for that side of the spectrum, I'm going to do it. 
General, we actually have to wrap up. Is there anything you want to promote? Well, I promoted the uh, Democratality premiere. Um, like I said, I know you guys are in the New England area, so if anyone's listening <clears> to this that's closer to New York and wants to see this show that will eventually be on television, I promise you that. It's a great story, has a great cast, and a great creator and writer. Technically, I mean, we tag it as the next great American mob show. That's because we truly believe it is. So if you believe in that, anyone has interest in my acting career on December 18th, Wednesday, at the FCA Theater in Chelsea, um, come to the Red Carpet premiere, uh, BobMentalityTickets.com. You can check it out. You can take pictures of the Red Carpet at a good time, have a couple of drinks. Um, <laughs> uh, my Twitter, my Instagram is at ManofSteelMV, ManofSteelMV. And please, just support indie wrestling. Support all the boys and girls that go out there and bust their ass. Support the podcasters that give us a platform to talk about what we do, to get a platform to get ourselves out there to, 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 to listeners that may not know who we are now. Just support anything professional wrestling. I mean, we're in a great time right now for this business. Um, it's only going to get better. It's only going to grow. There are going to be more stars that are going to become, you know, the DFO, uh, DFW Hall legends to now household names. And that's honestly because of you, you fans. And, uh, you know, you guys do. You guys give us the platform every single day. I mean, anytime... I get a podcast and my message. Um, I always look at the show. I always see if it's a good show, and then I jump on it because you guys go out of your way uh, to kind of, like I said, to give us a platform. And uh, as long as it's, I'm sure you're aware, but we are forever appreciative of, of, of that platform. So thank you to that. And like I said, guys, fans, just keep supporting us, man. You guys supporting us will, will help us all right awesome mike thank you so much for everything we really appreciate it you were great i wish we could have gone longer man so you killed an hour and a half of my ride i'm almost there awesome man thank you very much mike please give me a call give me a message you guys are great awesome thank you so much man bye all right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 